Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Well, good morning, Alliance Church. I can almost see some of you in the front row. How we day? Hey, there we are. Hey, how are we doing this morning? We're feeling we're feeling good. We're here. Right here. She's she's feeling good. Hey, my name's Brandon. I'm the lead pastor of Alliance Church Hortonville. Happy to be with you here today. I want to start by uh, saying good morning to my dear church family out in Hortonville right now. God bless you guys. I, I, I miss you, and I hope you're having a great Sunday. Honestly, I'm going to let you know, my, there's something missing from my Sunday today, and that's I don't get to stack any chairs. They're all, they're all bolted to the floor here. Um, but I'll be with you in spirit while you stack chairs, all right? Uh, listen, if you're new here, I want to say welcome. If it is, you're checking us out, maybe your first, second time here, just want to say welcome. Glad you're here. There's nothing more awkward than going to church for the first time, especially if you're by yourself. So we want to just make you feel welcome, and we just want, to, want you to know that we're so glad you're here. All right, this morning, here's how I want to start. I want you to imagine a great kingdom. Now, this is going to be cheesy. Just, just go with me on it, okay? I want you to imagine a great kingdom. Like there's this king, and he has a great kingdom that he has built with his own hands. And there's all sorts of people in this kingdom. There are people who work the land and people who raise animals. There are librarians and teachers and musicians and artists and storekeepers. There are butchers and bakers and, of course, candlestick makers. And they're, you know, their boutiques double as an Amazon drop-off spot because candlestick-making candlestick business isn't so hot these days. But there's all sorts of people, and this is a kingdom of peace. And there are sorrows and there are tears for sure, but there's also joy and laughter. This is the type of place where the people work hard and play hard. This is a type of kingdom where the people enjoy their families and they enjoy the land and they enjoy their kingdom. This is, this is a great kingdom. And the king has a powerful army trained to defeat any enemy that comes their way, outfitted with the most powerful weapons in the land and arrayed in these regal uniforms. It's a great kingdom. And it's a great king. And the king has a family. And he's got a few kids. He's got his oldest son. And he just loves his oldest son. He's always doting on him. And he's got a handful of younger ones that are, you know, toddlers and infants. And, and uh, he, he just loves this. Is a, this is a great family, a great kingdom, and a great king. But there are three just really odd things about this kingdom. The first thing that's odd about this kingdom is the way battles are fought. You see, in this kingdom... When enemy, uh, when enemy armies come to attack, it's the weirdest thing. Despite the fact that this king has this big, powerful military force, he will often send his children. He'll say to the oldest son, hey, listen, you and the other kids, you're going to fight this one, all right? And then, I'm not making this up, and then the, 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 the little ones, you know, the toddlers and the infants, they'll crawl out onto the battlefield or waddle. You know how toddlers kind of, they got that waddle. They got their cute little, you know, baby fat rolls on their thighs still. And they spit up on themselves a little bit and they go goo goo gaga and they coo. And it's the most bizarre thing. But when they do that, it will just level the enemy armies. They'll just totally defeat them and they'll flee for their lives. uh, Second weird thing about this kingdom is 
what preoccupies the mind of the king. See, despite this, the fact that he's got this vast, beautiful kingdom, it's, uh, uh, there's uh, more than enough uh, work to go around. There's more, enough, more than enough to think about. But this guy is always thinking about his kids. I mean, he's just, he daydreams about them. They, they, he can't get his mind. They're the center of his attention, the apple of his eye. This guy is head over heels for his kids. And then the third odd thing about this kingdom is that uh, is, is the way the, the business is run in the kingdom, the way, the way the kingdom itself is run. See, despite the fact that uh, there are some important day-to-day operations, this king will allow his, his kids to run it. You know, he says to the oldest son, he says, okay, you're going to run this thing. You and the other kids, you're going you're to run this thing. And now listen, the oldest son, he does a bang up job. Perfect, no complaints. But the other ones, you know, the, the, the toddlers and the, the infants, uh, not so much, right? They, they, can make a, they can make a mess. And uh, the craziest thing about this is it works. Like the most bizarre thing about this kingdom is, is that it somehow, it works somehow in his brilliance. The king has orchestrated the kingdom so that this works. I mean, these kids can barely stand on their own two feet. And yet he gives them the keys to the entire kingdom. And they do things far from perfect. I mean, but somehow it works. Like the kingdom keeps, keeps moving forward. And I tell you, it's not because these kids are so brilliant. It's because this king is so brilliant. Now, I want to ask you to imagine if you were one of those children. And I want you to imagine that you start to realize that this is the case. That you start to realize that Okay, I, I, I start to get it now. Like this, I got a position I'm not qualified for. I'm winning battles that I definitely shouldn't be winning. And I'm in charge of stuff that there's no way I should be in charge of here. And somehow this is working. And you start to connect the dots. That it's all, all the credit goes to the king. That, that king is so brilliant. You start to realize that. Here's my question. How would you view that king? I bet you'd be pretty impressed, wouldn't you? I bet you would say, man, this king is amazing. Man, my dad, he is, he's like, all the other kids say that they got the best dad. Mine's really, this king is amazing. He is, he's just so majestic. But now I want you to imagine that you're one of those children, but you never come to that realization. Like you're one of the younger ones. And you never come to the realization that the king is truly to credit for the success you've had, for the dignity that you carry, for the little crown you got on your head, for the privileged uh, position that you've got in this kingdom. You imagine that you never connect those dots. And I ask you the same question. How would you view that king? I bet your attitude would be different toward the king, wouldn't it? You never connect those dots. I bet you'd be, have an attitude a bit more like, man, I mean, what's the big deal about this king? Who, who needs this king anyways? And what's this king ever done for me? I've been doing this on my own. I'm going to keep doing it on my own. 
And as a matter of fact, I don't need his firstborn son either. Like, what's the big deal? Precious firstborn gets all his attention. What's the, what's the big deal about him? Who put, who put that guy in charge? And you say that long enough, and eventually the king will say, okay, uh, you want to you reject me? You want to reject my, my kingship? You, you want to be your own king? Okay. Have it, have it your way. And the king would say that with a broken heart, for sure. But he would say it with a completely just hand. If you fail to see the majesty of our God in the details of creation and in the person of Jesus Christ, you will eventually reject his love and rebel against his kingship. And you'll find yourself on a path you don't want to go down. It'll be a path that'll lead you to the point where you will have wasted your life on this earth and you will have built your own prison in eternity. You don't want to go down that path. And the thing is, is that the Bible tells us of a God who is constantly calling after us, constantly shouting, wake up. Wake, wake up, see my beauty in the details of this creation. Wake up and see the beauty of who I am and what I've, what I've done. Look upon my son and behold his glory. God is constantly trying to awaken our hearts to his majesty. And that's what Psalm 8 is exactly designed to do. So I'm going to read it today. I just want to read Psalm 8. And I want us all to pray together. And I, we're going to pray that God would awaken our hearts to his majesty in creation and in Christ. And then I'm going to walk through these verses. And here's my goal. I'm going to be totally upfront with you. My goal is that when you walk out of these doors, you will be more impressed with Jesus than when you walked in. That's it. So here it is. Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, the grass fades, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it endures forever. We need 
his word. And now would you pray, God, would you help us get this? Now there's countless molecules in this universe and every single one of them is saturated with evidence that you are indeed powerful. And God, would you forgive us for not seeing that? God, would you open the eyes of our hearts? God, would you open our ears to be able to hear your voice? Let us see your beauty. God, would you soften our hearts that we would have a deep affection and appreciation for you, God? Would you cause us to stand in awe of who you are and what you've done? And we pray this in Jesus' glorious and beautiful name. Amen. If I were to sum this psalm up in one sentence, here's what I would say. The majesty of God is displayed generally in creation and ultimately in Christ Jesus. Now, you'll notice that verse 1 and verse 9 are the exact same verse. Right? Like they're like the God-exalting slices of bread on this creation-examining sandwich. He says, O Lord... That word for Lord there is Yahweh, specifically the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and most specifically the God that revealed himself to Moses. This isn't just any abstract God. This is the God of the Bible. It says, oh, Yahweh, our Lord. That second word, Lord, means like master, someone who's sovereign over us, our king, our Lord. And he said, listen, look, do you hear how personal it is? He says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic, beautiful, awe-inspiring is your name, your identity, like who you are. How majestic is your name in all the earth? This, the guy who wrote this was David. And David sincerely believes, this is his conviction, that every square inch of this planet is infused with evidence of the glory and the power and the beauty of God. <laughs> so he just, he, he, he just marvels, oh Lord, oh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Like it's just visible. It's, it's, it's above all. You just, you just can see it everywhere. It's like you can't look up or down or left or right on this planet without your senses being flooded with a chorus of evidence that are singing the praises of the beauty of God. He marvels. And then verses two through eight He's going to look at creation and he's going to draw conclusions that point him to God. And he makes three key observations about this world that point him to God and blow his mind. And I want, to, I want, I want you to see these three observations. First observation he makes is this, is that God loves to do mighty things through weak humans. God loves to do mighty things through weak humans. Verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. 
Did you hear that? Out of the mouth, think about that. Out of the mouth of the most weak thing you can imagine, you have established strength and you conquer enemies with them. The, the images of, of those, those little you know, chubby side toddlers waddling out onto the battlefield and they do a little baby talk and the enemies are just defeated and, and it doesn't make sense. And it's this sort of paradox that David observes that it seems to be intrinsic to how God does everything in this world. And we can see it all throughout the Bible. We can see this, this weakness paradox. You, you, know, you realize that God chose this little insignificant Israel to bless all the nations of the world. Do you, you realize God chose even the writer of this weak insignificant little old David to slay the giant and become king of Israel. Do you believe, can you think about that God chose little, think about Christ coming to earth. He chose little, humble, meek Mary. Think about this, to bear and to raise the savior of the entire world. God loves to do mighty things through weak humans. This is how he does business. Think about how Jesus won. Think about how Jesus conquered everything. Jesus conquered the power of Satan and sin and death and hell. And how did he do it? By becoming weak. And he died on a cross. And Jesus has been changing the world for the last 2,000 years using an insignificant ragtag band of misfits called the church to turn this world upside down. And he does it through the proclamation of a foolish message called the gospel. God loves to do mighty things through the weakness of people. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians Listen, listen to how Paul words this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that, why, 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 why does God operate this way? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Hear that? God loves to do mighty things through weak people. Why? Because when you conquer an entire enemy army using a bunch of dirty diapered, uh, snot-nosed toddlers that are weak and fable, no one can take the credit. No, no one will be able to stand in God's presence and said, we, say, we did it. Look at us, we did it. No, the only thing we'll be able to say is God did it, right? God loves to do mighty things through weak people. Now, the second observation David makes is humans are nothing compared to God. Yet we mean everything to God. Compared to God, humans, we're, we're nothing but to God, we mean everything. Look at verse three. He says, when I look at your heavens, 
the works of your fingers, the moon and the, and, and the stars which you have set in place. Right? So he looks out into the expanse of the universe and he sees the splendor of the, star, the stars and, and the moon and all of it. And then he is confronted with the notion that all of that is the work of God's fingers. Think about that. It's like God's this master craftsman. And, and, and the entire universe with all of the galaxies and, and all its glory and all its vastness is like just a little pocket watch in his hands. And, 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 he, and he's got these skilled hands. He could just tinker with it if he wanted to. And so now, if the entire universe compared to God is a pocket watch in his fingers. What, what does that make us? What does that, what does that make you? you and I? How insignificant are we compared to the universe, compared to God? Look at verse 4. Remember, he's thinking, you know, I look at the expanse, I look at the, I look at the heavens and so on, and then here's what he concludes. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him. And it's talking about humanity. What is mankind? What is humanity? Who are humans that you were mindful of us and, and the son of man that you care for him? He, he's, he's literally concluding. He's like, God, you made all of this. You made all of this. And, and we're, we're, no, we're nothing. We are we're, we're nothing, but you stink and love us. How on earth, how amazing of a God are you? Like to, to compared to who you are and what we have uh, and, and what you have done, we're, we're just of scant significance. You're still just head over heels for us. See, compared to God, we're nothing but to God, we mean everything. Now the third observation that, the, that David draws here is that despite our relative insignificance, God has given us a royal position in his kingdom. Look at verse five. So think about that. He, he's just said, who is man that you're mindful of him? Who is, who is this little insignificant man? But yet you have made him, that's mankind, a little lower, just a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's referring to the angels. Just a little lower. Translation, higher than everything else in creation. This is a special position that we occupy in creation. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You've given, he's, he's taken us. We're the little ones with the diapers. And he's given us these little crowns and he's placed them on our heads. And he said, you are beautiful. You are significant. You are worthy of honor. You are infused with dignity. Not because you earned it, but because I made you. I made you in my image. And now what do you do when you have a crown on your head? You rule something, don't you? Verse 6, and you have given him dominion. 
That's oversight and control. He's empowered us to make decisions and execute the operations over the works of his hands. You process that. These vast, amazing works of God's hands and God puts us in control. And you have put all things under his feet. And then verse seven, he's just gonna list all the living stuff there that he can think of. All sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field and birds of the heaven and fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. That's all living things. And the psalmist just marvels that God's majesty is displayed in all living things and that God has given us dominion over them. After the last service, I was just talking to a friend who owns a pest control business and we were talking about mice. I said, I don't see, I don't see what their purpose is. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. He said, well, it keeps me employed. <laughs> There's purpose in everything. God has, God has created everything and he's given us dominion over it. And you notice that in these last three verses, if you're familiar with Genesis chapter one, he's, he's quoting directly out of, out of Genesis when God, he, he creates us in his own image. And then the very first thing he does is he blesses us. And then he says, I want you guys to run this place. He says, subdue the earth and have dominion over all living things. You see, God loves to do mighty things through weak humans. And compared to God, we are indeed weak. But he's had over heels for us. And here's the cool part. He gives us, despite our weakness and our foolishness and, uh, and uh, our dirty diapers and our snot nose and we spit up on ourselves like little babies. Sometimes we hit each other with our toys and, and, and there's no reason we are qualified for this position, but he puts a crown on our head and he says, you got a special spot in this creation. And David looks at all of that and he just marvels. He says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So what's this, uh, what's this got to do with us like here today? You know, this psalm has a lot to say to us. There's a lot in this psalm that speaks directly to us. Like if you feel, if you feel weak, like this psalm says that God loves to do mighty things through weak people, so don't sweat it too much. Like if you feel like God doesn't love you, this psalm, not me, I didn't make this stuff up, this psalm says no. God is mindful of you. He, he cares for you. If, I mean, if you feel like you're not valuable for whatever reason, this psalm says, no. He's got a crown on your head, and that is glory and honor. He has infused every aspect of your mind, your body, your soul with dignity. We can't take credit for that. It's because he made us in his image. If you feel like you have no purpose in this life, this, this psalm reminds us that he's given you dominion. 
like there's a role for you to play on this planet as long as you got breath in your lungs. This psalm has a lot to say to us. But I tell you, it has something to say that's way more important than what it says to us. I'd like to invite the musicians to come back up. Now, this psalm has a lot to say to us. But I tell you, it has something way more important to say about Jesus. I mean, it says a lot about us, but it says so much more about Jesus. You got to understand that the light that shines out of this psalm shines way past us and lands squarely on the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, the New Testament authors, they had no problem whatsoever just copying and pasting Psalm 8 and saying, you know what, that's talking about Jesus. And uh, that part there too, it's talking about Jesus. And oh yeah, by the way, this one here, that's talking about Jesus too. Jesus himself had no problem applying this psalm to him. There's a time in Matthew uh, 21, and there's little kids shouting, Son of David! That means the coming king, the Messiah who's going to save God's people. And there's a group of super religious people, and they get really indignant. And they're like, do do you hear What they're saying, translation, this is blasphemy. Are you going to tell them to shut up or not, Jesus? And Jesus says, have you not read? And then he quotes Psalm 8 out of the mouths of infants and babies. Jesus literally says, y'all ain't read Psalm 8 yet? And you didn't know that I was talking about me? They're just fulfilling prophecy. Like they, they get it. The author of Hebrews points to Jesus as the ultimate son of man who was processed this, made a little bit lower than the angels, but has, think about that. Jesus in his incarnation was above all. And then he took on flesh and dwelt among us, became one of us. He was made for a little while to be a little lower than the heavenly beings, but has since been crowned with glory and honor. (laughs) And and, and the author of Hebrews says, why is that? Because he, he tasted death. He, He suffered death so he could taste death for all of us. And then he says, therefore, because of that, God has given Jesus dominion over all things and placed everything under his feet. The apostle Paul in both 1 Corinthians and Ephesians says, you know that whole thing about Psalm 8, that whole, you put everything under his feet thing, that was talking about Jesus. Paul writes that God the Father has put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says in Matthew 28, 18, hear this, all authority. Have you guys ever looked up the definition for all? It means all of it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, The majesty of God is displayed generally in creation, but ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. If you remember one thing when you walk out of here today, I want you to remember this, that Jesus Christ is the supreme display of God's beauty and his name is majestic in all the earth. 
And this means if you don't know Jesus, if you don't trust Jesus, if you don't love Jesus, you miss the entire point of your existence on this planet. And you're on a path that's going somewhere you don't wanna go. If you're rejecting and rebelling against God's loving lordship, you're on a path you don't wanna go down. But the good news is that right now, like if your heart's still beating and you still have breath in your lungs, right now, God is giving you a chance. Right now, God is giving you, he gives us all a chance to say, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm so sorry. God, would you forgive me? God, would you take control of my life? God, God would you help me live for you instead of for, for myself? Would you, would you, would you be the king? Amen. Now, if you're ready to take that step, I would invite you after the service to just come see me. I'll hang out over there. <laughs> I'm not gonna bite. Just come see me. We'll talk it through. Um, we'll pray. You can start your new life with Jesus. And I tell you, you give him the keys to the car of your life, that's a decision you will never, ever regret. But we all need to know that this psalm calls us, commands us to see and surrender to and celebrate the beauty of God and the details of creation and the person of Jesus Christ, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge to you this church. This week, I want you to do this every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Just do it and Saturday. Let's throw Saturday into just six days. I want you to take two minutes. That's it, just two minutes. And I want you to pick out something in creation and I want you to examine it and I want you to reflect on God's beauty that is expressed through that thing. It could be a sunset or stars or feeling the petals of a flower. It could be your thumbnail. I don't care. Pick something once a day. Take a minute and reflect on God's beauty as expressed through creation and then pray this prayer right here. God, would you give me a bigger vision of Jesus? Try that this week, once a day. Let's see what goes on in your soul, in your faith. And now I invite you, if you're able to stand uh, out in Hortonville, would you stand as well? We're all gonna stand and sing together. Now, uh, we're gonna respond to the message of Psalm 8 by singing a version of Psalm 8 that has been arranged for our day. Let's celebrate the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ.